Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Some of you guys were ready to order some popcorn. (laughs) I know, you're upset that I'm interrupting your movie time. You know, I I teared up just watching that short clip. I know it tugs at your heart. What is it about this scene that moves us so strongly? What is it about that scene of the movie that you're able to connect so strongly with? What is it about movies and stories that convey the message of this great comeback? Why are we so drawn to these narratives that we are facing an imminent end? There is no possibility of a favorable outcome. We find ourselves cheering for We find ourselves rooting for the main characters in these storylines we desperately seek. If there's any chance, if there's any chance of victory or win, we want to see that happen. You know, he's not here, but David, one of our drummers, a priestly member, he started filming college. He says, Pastor Scott, essentially every movie that we see in Hollywood, every movie follows the same formula of follow the pattern of they drive the characters into the pits. And every single movie is about redemption and coming back to life. They, 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 they I don't want to say drag, but they, they carry you throughout the movie that you experience the emotions of anguish, turmoil, and hopelessness. Most of the movies you leave feeling, Wow. But there is a chance. And in my head, when I heard that, I put all the movies, pretty much all the movies that I knew that I could recall in my memory, and sure enough, that fits the narrative of what David had conveyed to me. Um, Whether it is Captain America being overwhelmed by the power of Thor, or Rocky, Rocky Baboa completely outmatched versus a machine like Drago in Rocky IV. I know I'm dating myself. As you see the good guys not giving up and fighting with all they have, we find ourselves heartily rooting for the good ending to come. We hope and cheer for it. Somewhere along the movie, I think it's because we connect ourselves with the characters. At the chance of redemption, reversal, and victory, we all cheer. And these stories somehow continue to live in our heads. These characters somehow remain in our hearts and minds, serving as a reminder, a a catalyst, and motivation that it isn't over until it is over. In the worst moments of your life, in the moments of waiting, when despair comes, when the challenges and trials hit your life, maybe you think about Rocky. Maybe you think about Captain America. Maybe you wait for the voices summoning you, Scott, Scott, 
Daniel, Daniel, or maybe you hear it in your head, Captain Daniel, Captain Daniel. (laughs) It's so powerful, isn't it? The book of Ruth opened up with a woman who had lost everything. Weeks ago, the chapter one of the book of Ruth opens up telling us that there was a name, a woman named Naomi. And immediately we're given facts. It's about Naomi having lost her husband. It's about Naomi having lost her only two sons. And now she's struck with the idea that life has just pretty much ended. There was no chance, there was no possibility of anything good coming out of this. There were no men left in her household. And chapter 1 conveyed that as a sign of ultimate resignation, she was about to give permission to two daughters-in-law who were Moabites. And Naomi, I'm sure that was a, a, a challenging decision, but Orpah, Ruth, now there is no more left for us to live. Would you now go back to your hometown? Go back to your own family because there's nothing left for you and me in this family. That was Naomi. Chapter 1 opened up about the bleakness of a person's life. No hint or sign. In fact, what we are clear of is that she was at peace and she was simply going to go back home to Bethlehem. You know when people want to return home? At the prospect of that she has come to peace with now, she is the ending of her life is now imminent and that she would rather spend the rest of her life preparing for that imminent ending. But the book of Ruth about a story of redemption. The book of Ruth is not about a suffering of a woman. The book of Ruth is not about suffering of two women, two widows. The book of Ruth is essentially a a message of hope and the message of redemption. And I want to read you some verses in the final chapter of Ruth. Verses 14 and 15, this is what he said. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not let you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Now the townsmen, townswomen and men, people have gathered around Naomi. Naomi, who was known as a widow, Naomi, who had known as someone who had lost everything, who had spent most of her life in a foreign land, has now returned to her. Now the narrative has completely changed. She's no longer referred to as a widow. She's no longer connected to the story of the suffering and misfortunes. And this is now what is said of Naomi. May he also be to your restore of life. Life is so full now. God has blessed you. God has been gracious to you. Now your life is better to you than seven sons who has given birth to him. All that Naomi had lost is now restored and found. All, and this is what people were saying to her. They're looking at Boaz. They're looking at Ruth. 
And man, Naomi, what God has done for you now in the recent past is so much, so much better and greater than the suffering they had to endure in the past. And there is a significance in the number seven. The significance of number seven in the ancient Hebrew tradition is that seven signified completion. Seven signified fullness and wholeness. And now people are saying, Naomi, look at your life. It is more full. It is more complete. It is, in fact, there is no lack left in your life. God has completely filled you and satisfied you. And is there testifying on Naomi's behalf? saying nothing compares to the grace of God that has been poured out onto you, Naomi. It's really amazing, isn't it, considering what was said of Naomi in the beginning of this book. Let me read for you the description of Naomi in chapter 1, the opening act of this book. I went away full. This is Naomi talking, verse 21, if we can show that. I went away full. But the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? This is Naomi's self-description of her life. Oh, by the way, you guys know that every Hebrew name carries a distinct significance and every Hebrew name has a translatable meaning. Do you know the meaning of the word Naomi or the name of Naomi? Naomi means pleasantness. Naomi means joy, uplifted spirit. Isn't it so ironic that a person, Naomi, who should signify pleasantry, pleasantness, favor of God, but yet when she looks upon her life, And when she assesses the contents of her life, at that moment in chapter 1, when I left, I was full. But now when as I'm returning my homeland, my life, life has been depleted. My life has been sucked dry of any pleasantness or pleasantry, any joy, any life. All that has been disappearing now in my life. And you see yet in chapter 4 when it's described that people don't see the barrenness in her anymore. They don't see the suffering. Come on. And she's now really preparing. She's holding a baby in her arms. She's a grandson. In chapter 1, no one ever predicted that she would be holding a grandson. Because two two daughters-in-law were barren. But here is Naomi, God carrying her through these chapters, but now she's fully present in her life. See, I want you guys to understand, friends, sometimes God will allow futility. God will allow barrenness. God will allow dryness in our lives. God will allow ineffectiveness, fruitlessness. And those seasons will continue. But these seasons continue just so that God may lead us onto his wondrous works for us. Consider the story of Lazarus in chapter 11 of the Gospel of John. Lazarus was a brother, dear, a brother of Mary and Martha who were considered 
not considering the disciples of Jesus, they were pretty much the best friends of Jesus. So they, they were what we call the inner circle of Jesus' life. And Jesus is told that Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, are, is really, really sick. And, and they're calling upon Jesus to be at their home and bring healing because by this time they were aware of Jesus' supernatural powers. It's funny, when Jesus hears the news of how sick Lazarus had gotten, he delays himself. He does not rush to the scene. He, you don't read about Jesus hurrying that he would soon be where Lazarus is and bring healing. In fact, Jesus would take two more days upon arriving in the scene. By the time Jesus arrives at the house of Mary and Martha, Lazarus has already been dead. Lazarus had already been put away in the tomb. Lazarus had already been bandaged up. But it's funny. Jesus allowed that to happen. And you have to understand that Jesus did not wait because he lacked the ability to bring healing and restoration in that moment. If you read John chapter 9 as well, just two chapters before this encounter of Lazarus, there's a scene where a blind man appears in the beginning of the chapter. And the description that we read of him is that this man had been blind since birth. The description in chapter, 11, uh, chapter 9, uniquely though, it says, so that the work of God may be displayed. Isn't it interesting? A man born blind, all of his life, his life really sucked. His life amounted to nothing. But by the time that the disciple John records of this incident, the description of this man who suffered all of his life is that this man was born blind so that the work of God may be displayed. So if we understand the hardships, if we understand the suffering and the difficulties in our lives, how often do we think that what God is doing, the barrenness and the dryness, is so that the work of God may be displayed in our lives. Are you with me here? You see, when we move through these spiritual transitions we're talking about, God allows the things that we see in our lives, sometimes God allows the death. God allows things to be infutile. God, uh, futile. God allows things to be stalled and delayed all so that the work of God may be displayed. But the problem is that we don't see that. When we are in the midst of troubles and the trials, we think often that that's the end of the story. I wish, as I was thinking about this example, I had so wished that, man, we need to show the entire clip of Captain America and half of the Avengers that's beating, just getting beaten up. And Thor, guys, Thanos, not Thor. Man, I almost had it. <laughs> Thanos was just having his way. Thanos was just toying around with these guys. There's absolutely no sign of life. And I don't know, you were probably surprised as I was. 
What was Captain America feeling? What was Captain America thinking in that moment? When we think about the delays, when we think about the defeats in our lives, when we think about the lack of God speaking in our lives, when we think about the silence of God in our lives, none of these things make sense. If anything, we grow bitter. If anything, we get angry that's beyond sadness. And it's because we have these expectations of God. It's because if we are indeed the children of God, if we are indeed the son and sons and daughters of God, and we know that we have a God who is equipped with so much power, and the scriptures tell us that we are indeed loved by him, we are forever cared for, and that God, the Almighty God, is responsible for our lives. So we have these inherent expectations. We wish that God would move sooner. We wish that God would work with us and walk with us a little bit more closely. So when we talk about the suffering of this blind man, when we talk about the despair that Mary and Martha and Lazarus' family had to endure, none of these things really make sense. None of these sounds intuitive or loving at all. Friends, God does not express his love for us by keeping us from harm, pain, or he does not keep us from the emptying work he wants us to do. The full Christian life in the view of God is not that one of devoid of suffering and hardships. In fact, if anything, God allows these things to happen because in our suffering, in our hardships, in our frustrations, the work of God is displayed infinitely more powerfully than we would ever imagine. God absolutely understands that we want to live in power. He knows that he wants us, to, he knows that we want to live in victory. But oftentimes, he must dismantle us from whatever we find to be of safety, reliance, and confidence. God has to strip off, he has to bring this deconstruction in our lives so that we have a proper view of his care and protection of us. No matter how difficult of trials, no matter how many impossible circumstances we may encounter, God's underlying love and care, even protection, must not be forgotten. God says, I am going to change your identity. I am going to redeem your calling. I am going to empower you. I am going to prop you up. Amen? Naomi, in her hometown, Bethlehem, she had become a symbol of despair and pity. Every single person in Bethlehem was reminded, man. You know, one of those things like sometimes we don't say any words, but we just kind of, man, I feel so bad. Some of you who are Koreans, like, you had, there's a sound like, like, that short sound is descriptive of, man, I feel your pain. 
there's a lot of suckness. Mm. When Naomi was considered, that was the way that Naomi was perceived. But we see now in chapter 4 of the book of Ruth, it's completely turned around. Verses 16 and 17. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now Ruth and Boaz have a child. It's a boy. It's a son. And this is the first time in the Bible where the child is named, not by the immediate family. The child of the baby boy is named by the entire spiritual community. It's really interesting. I think that signifies that how involved the townspeople were in the life and the journey of Naomi. So they gather around. They celebrated this birth of a new life. And what do we call this child? Obed. Obed means what? Servant of God. Obed means worshiper. Wow, a child born out of such pain and barrenness, suffering, despair, long waiting, hopelessness. Now, when a child is born, they name it now. The worshiper of God is among us. Now, the joy is arising. Now, the servant of God is arising. You see, the book of Ruth is not about a story of Naomi. It's not about even Ruth. It's not about the suffering of the women. It's about the redemptive power and God's divine plan that the end story of what God is writing in your life and my life is always victory. Come on, somebody. And this is a tough part because we get stuck in chapter 1. We go through the book. We're the main characters and we stop being the characters in the middle of the book. And God is, I wonder what God is thinking about. God is saying, son, daughter, I'm not done with you yet. Couple more sentences. Bear with me for this moment. Because there's an ending that is a lot brighter. There's an ending more powerful and filled with hope and joy. And that's coming. It's a story about God and your life too. It's not just your story. It's about a story of God who plans and prepares and prophetically launches us onto the path where we get used. And we get used to accomplish the will of God. You know... Naomi would have never chosen for herself this kind of life. If it was left up to Naomi, I'm pretty sure that she would not have signed up for, God, please take away my husband. Oh, by the way, please take away my only two sons. Has she known even the outcome? There is no way that she signed up for this. No way. I'm going to lose my husband. I'm going to lose my sons? There is no way. And I imagine that none of us would sign up for, even at the prospect of happier and the glorious ending, I, wonder, I don't think we have the capacity to go through the suffering in the meantime. And this is why God does not reveal everything. This is why God can't even tell us Son, daughter, your waiting period right now is this much. 
Your suffering is going to last for this many seasons. God cannot, God will not, because if we were to left up to us, we will choose for ourselves the end right now. This is why it's important for you and me to remember that the season of futility is necessary for the season of glory. You cannot have a glorious ending of your life without the downfall, the suffering, the hardships. Verse 18 says this. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and Ram Abinadab, and to Abinadab was born Neshlon, and to Neshlon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and Obed was born of Jesse, and to Jesse David. Friends, what name stands out to you in that short passage? What famous name do we recognize in that passage? David, yeah. I'm glad you didn't say Aminadab. Like, I'm not testing for you like Bible nerdism here. <laughs> Many of us should recognize one name in that passage. The name, the name David stood out. He's the great, great, great son of Naomi. And David would not just be the greatest king that Israel will ever see. It was through the life of David, God made a promise, God made a covenant. And this is what it is said of David. I am not only installing you to be king, but for all of your generations, your kingness, your, your royalty will be preserved. And that's my promise to you. When they were holding baby Obed, by the way, that's a great name, baby Obed. <laughs> when, when Naomi's holding Obed in her arms, there's no way that she's aware that David is about to happen. There's no way. Oh, by the way, let us not forget the significance of David and thousands of years later, that lineage becomes really important because what? Because of Jesus. Let me read for you what is said of Matthew 1 through 6. Perez was the father of Hezron, the Hezron of the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Minadab, so on. Jesse was the father of David the king. Exact words of chapter 4 of Ruth is directly quoted in the first chapter of the New Testament. Do you know the opening line of the Gospel of Matthew is? Do you know what chapter 1, verse 1 of Matthew is? The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The history the very origin, the, the very genesis of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, begins in recording the Old Testament, the final book ending of this poor widow named Naomi, who was good for nothing, whose name represented pleasantness, pleasure, joy, 
stripped of all that was good in her life, and finally nearing the end of her life, she's just redeemed, she's esteemed. She has been glorified, holding the child in her hand. You know what? Not only did they not understand the coming and the arising of King David, they certainly had no idea that that would be the beginning of the Messiah to come generations after generations. See, that's the thing, friends. If indeed that you are going through a wilderness, if indeed that you are going through the barrenness, if indeed you are going through the suffering of having lost something, having lost your husband, having lost your family, having lost the clarity of the future career in your life, and you're grieving and you're lost in the sense of, I don't know when my breakthrough is coming. I want you to understand that this is what God is preparing behind the scenes. And he says, it's not over yet. You may be asking, you are wondering, what is my turn? When is my breakthrough? Is life tough for you right now? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel like the portion that God has allowed you to hold for this season doesn't really compare to what others are holding on to? And sometimes we do that. We compare. We contrast. And oftentimes that leads to complaining. And we know we shouldn't, but we do anyways because we can't help it. I'm here to tell you today that it's not over. God is merely setting up the backdrop. God is merely setting the stage for you. God is just setting up the stage. You know, I'm not really into theater. As you could correctly guess that I'm not very cultured. I'm not the guy who's like, oh, let's go watch the, the Lion King musical. Let's go watch, you know, when Hamilton came out a few years ago during COVID, so many people were so excited. So we had a couple of good friends. They suggested, Scott, you know, let's have a date, not one of these days. And, and we bought tickets. It, it ha we were supposed to go in the May of 2020. And I was really excited. But in my excitement, I was really nervous because I knew, I know myself. I don't think I could handle it. And lo and behold, they released on film, uh, on TV, and <laughs> I think I made it through like eight minutes. <laughs> Was it 10 minutes, 8 minutes? They started rapping history. I, was like, I didn't understand it. When I, when I look at these plays, I watched Wicked. I watched um, Scrooge play a few years back. What is it? 
Yes. Even, you know what I love about these plays? I love it when the curtains go, they close the curtains. There's like a, a I'm not saying like, I, I don't wish, but I can't wait what different scene's going to come out next. And by the time the turn, curtain closes and it opens up, we're in a different place. And all of a sudden, I forget about what had just taken place. And I wonder in some of our lives, some of us, that God is, God is getting ready. God is not resting. It's not the end. Like when the curtains close, right, and people clap, and the thing say, God is not done. God is setting the new backdrop. God is saying, you know what, there's an, there's an act four coming. And act three, the, 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 the suckage that, that, that was seen, that's the end. Oh, come on, it's coming up right now. God is not stop moving right now in your life. Even so, right now, God is working. Come on, somebody. And this is what I need you to understand before you, before you leave today. For the people of God, for people like you and me, I want you to know that pain is never the final word for the people of God. I'm going to say that again. Pain is never the final word for the people of God. If you have ever experienced a setback, take a step back because God is getting you ready for a comeback. That's okay. I've been doing this for 25 years. But let that, let that truth just sink in. Oh, some of you guys want me to say it again. I'll say it again. <laughs> if there's a setback, take a step back because God is getting you ready for a comeback. Come on. <laughs> I know what you guys are saying. In my 30, 40 years of life, I've seen a plenty of setbacks, but never a comeback. <laughs> It's your choice. It's your choice how you want to live your life. It's your choice to what to believe about God. And there's nobody that can force you to go one or the other way. But if I may have a say in your life for you, it's not over. Just take a step back because you are going to make a comeback. Second, God is going to use you. Come on. And he will use every part of you. There is no doubt that God is going to use you. Naomi probably had no idea that she would even be mentioned in the Bible. If she even understood that the word of God may be written. By the way, she, she didn't know. Why would she? She looks around, there's two million other Jews just like her. There's no way that my story, that there's no way that my life is counted worthy that God would choose my life and the testimony that comes out of it. People read about it. People look at my life and they get encouraged, they get inspired. There's no way. But I'm here to tell you that your life is going to matter. That when by the time that God is done writing your life, He's going to use you, and he's going to use every part of you. 
Not just the good, but the bad as well. Not just your victories, but your losses as well. Not just your achievements, but your failures as well. Not your successes, but your mistakes as well. And I tell you, God is going to use every part of you. Even the ones that you want to hide about yourself, even the stories and the, and the portions and the chapters of your life that you have never disclosed about anybody else, God is going to use that as well. You know why? Because that's how God works. God is not ashamed of you. God does not hold back because God has never left you. To, to God, God is not surprised by you either. And God says, I'm going to use every part, every piece of you. And some of you guys need to hear that. There's a day coming that you will be able to share the story that you've withheld for years. I'm telling you that right now. Some of you guys right now even get, think about it. Some of you guys are fearful, scared. But God is going to prop you up one day and the whole town is going to hear about it. And some of you guys are on the fence. What do I, all the days coming that your testimony is going to inspire and empower and bring hope to those that are questioning about how their lives will turn out. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works for the good of those. He says all things. He doesn't say God will use the good things in your life. God will use the happy moments in your life. God says, you know what? I'm going to use the highs and the lows, the, the, the sweet and the sour, the bitter, the hot and the cold. God's going to use all of that. So today we end this wonderful book of Ruth. We had block meeting yesterday, and, and one of the guys said, you know, like, I didn't see the point of Ruth. Like, why are we doing Ruth? I hope you see now that this is one of the most powerful stories of redemption in the, all of the Bible. And the prophetic nature of what these two women, poor women, had to endure. And that sets the immediate backdrop of the Messiah to come generations after. Is there, you, and then you have to wonder, is there a, a story that's more relatable? Is there a story that's more empowering and more encouraging than this? And today I hope you live, uh, you, you, you live and you leave with the sense of power that your story matters, that you're not just a poor widow, you're not just a poor man, but God is going to use you. God is going to redeem you, empower you, and commission you. Let me get the worship team to come on up. And this is what I want to prompt you guys today. As we will move into time of prayer, 
I want us to pray for power. Power to declare one day of God's goodness. Power to testify one day how God has healed you. Power to share one day how God has strengthened you and that he has made you whole. And if you aren't there yet where you feel like you you have been made whole by God, certainly it is not time to give up. Certainly it is not yet the time to quit. So friends, pray with me. God, may faith arise in these moments and seasons of futility. These moments of great pain and suffering, God, even your silence. God, we want to be strong. God, we want to be weather. God, we want to be able to weather through the storms in our lives because redemption is coming, because glory is coming, because promotion and empowerment is coming. And God, we have no idea the kind of backdrop that you're preparing for us. And God, we as your people, we as people of faith, and God, may we hope in that. So God, I pray for my friends in this room to believe, to endure, and to one day boldly proclaim yes God come on friends lift up a prayer real quick say God I allow you to move in my life I want to trust in you God I want to be led yes God Jesus spend the next few minutes just continuing to worship God and we're going to give offering unto the Lord and you know we just have a, a three more weeks left here in this year in this season and it's been a difficult year for many of us it's been a difficult year for the church and 
But we push through, and I encourage all of us to give in faith, not expecting a return, but in return, what God has graciously provided for us. So we're going to give offering unto the Lord. There are different ways, through Zelle, through the, the church website, through the offering basket that we have.